0: slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you.
1: Um, I have a question for you to ponder. It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it out loud unless you really want to. But if you were to host a party, whether it's a dinner party, a birthday party, you name it, and you could only invite five people, who would those five people be? Who are the five people you would invite to your party? I hope I'm on that list. (laughs) I wanna go to your party. Um, I remember back when (laughs) T-Mobile, Started to get big as a phone company. Yes, teens. T-Mobile used to not exist. Um, I think it, I forget what it used to be called. Um, it had a name before that. But as they started to get big, they they did this uh, this promo. And one of the big promos to kind of get their name out there was your fave five. Does anybody remember this? Your fave five on T-Mobile. And they had these funny commercials. That were just kind of silly. People bantering, mostly basketball players. I think Charles Barkley was on, or yeah, on, on those commercials. Um, and the question was, who's in your fave five? Um, so who are the five people you want, like on speed dial on your phone? Who are the five people you want to text the most? Um, those are your fave five. Nowadays, phones are are kind of set up to automatically um, determine who your favorites are based on how often you call them, how often you text them. Um, It's it's funny, I pull up my phone to make a phone call and right there uh, is Frankie's name, (laughs) right under a category that I didn't even create called favorites. Um, You're my favorite, babe. (laughs) But even more wild than that, uh, if you spend any amount of time on the internet, you know that almost all internet-based platforms, especially all forms of social media, Um, they use algorithms to determine what your favorite things are based on the sites you visit, what people you interact with on there, um, what you enter into your Google search search engine, um, you name it. In fact, sometimes I think my phone and my computer are listening to me because I'll be talking about something like, I don't know, Birkenstocks or some kind of product and then all of a sudden I get an ad for that product on my phone. (laughs) It's kind of silly. and then this algorithm, it, it bunches all of those things together, all of your favorite things, and then plops it as a neatly wrapped gift on your doorstep, <laughs> such as your phone, that's what I'm talking about, just hands it to you. Now, I'm not sure that the internet can deliver uh, raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, <laughs> or bright copper kettles and warm <laughs> woolen mittens, just saying. I mean, I'm sure you could order those things on Amazon now, but... Thank you, Connie, for the laugh, she got my joke. But even before the internet, we've lived in a world, we've always lived in a world that highlights and encourages having favorites, right? Regarding almost everything. Uh, Favorite sports team, favorite movie, favorite food, favorite book, favorite genre of music, favorite kid, I know you all have them. I only know that because I'm the favorite kid just kidding Uh, favorite teacher favorite political leader or party uh, favorite church even some people have favorite churches I hope this is your favorite we all have favorites so my question is who or what is in your fave five I think we could all conjure up that list fairly quickly because we're kind of trained to have favorites to already know what we like what we don't like I don't think it's all bad to have favorites. Today though, um, as we continue through the book of James in our summer series, um, James offers some perspective about picking favorites. So like I said, we're going through the book of James. We spent um, a couple weeks on it already and last week had a missionary speaker. Um, So some of you have already read through the whole book of James. Um, Trent gave this challenge to you to read the whole book. And so some of you already probably know what I'm gonna talk about today. You already saw a trailer, if you will, of of today's sermon. Um, And so anyways, if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible devices, uh, would you turn with me to James chapter 2? I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 13, and I'm going to be reading from the Common English Bible. Out of the reverence and of the reading of God's word would you please stand with me today this is James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 my brothers and sisters when you show favoritism you deny the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ who has been resurrected in glory imagine two people coming into your meeting one has a gold ring and fine clothes while the other is poor dressed in filthy rags Then suppose that you were to take special notice of the one wearing fine clothes, saying, here's an excellent place for you, sit here. But to the poor person you say, stand over there, or here, sit at my feet. Wouldn't you have shown favoritism among yourselves and become evil-minded judges? My dear brothers and sisters, listen. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor by worldly standards to be rich in terms of faith? Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Don't the wealthy make life difficult for you? Aren't they the ones who drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who insult the good name spoken over you at your baptism? You do well when you really fulfill the royal law found in scripture, which is love your neighbor as yourself. But when you show favoritism, you are committing a sin And by that same law, you are exposed as a lawbreaker. Anyone who tries to keep all of the law, but fails at one point is guilty of failing to keep all of it. The one who said don't commit adultery also said don't commit murder. So if you don't commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you are a lawbreaker. In every way, then speak and act as people who will be judged by the law of freedom. There will be no mercy in judgment for anyone who hasn't shown mercy for mercy overrules judgment this is the word of god given to us the people of god, Thanks to god. you guys can take a seat and i think i might be in the minority on this i could be wrong Uh, But I enjoy the book of James. (laughs) And not for the reason you might think. Uh, My whole life, I have been a rule follower. Any other rule followers out there? (laughs) Rule breakers? Just kidding. Don't raise your hands. I'm not even kidding a little bit. If if I was told to do something by my parents or by a teacher or by somebody, um, you better believe I was going to do it. Uh, Even just the thought of breaking the rules made my stomach upset and made me all nervous and my conscience would just quickly turn those thoughts the other direction. Like, nope, you're going to follow the rules. It wasn't often that I actually broke the rules. Maybe a few times in my life. But I like the book of James because as a rule follower, the things he writes to believers make sense to me. It makes sense that he's telling us all of these things. It feels easy to me to read because I naturally have this desire to follow rules. And I know that's not the case for everyone. Some read texts like this, like the book of James, and think, woof, how am I expected to follow all of these rules? That's a lot of things to do, a lot of things to keep track of. And even though I'm calling them rules, uh, and some people might think of them as rules, I don't think that is actually what James is using his writing to do I don't think he's he considers these rules they they feel like rules to many people but to James original audience uh, these were the things they needed to hear because many of them were still new to this Jesus thing this is the early church so these Christians are still learning what being a Christian even means what does this look like this lifestyle of following Jesus Further, the people James is talking to are considered part of the diaspora. Now Trent mentioned this a uh, a few weeks ago in the introduction to James, but the word diaspora in Greek means to scatter about, kind of like you guys are right now. You're scattered about on the lawn here. You are the diaspora of mountain home. But the diaspora refers to this Jewish group who were scattered from Israel, from their homeland because of persecution. They were no longer welcome. In Israel uh, because the Babylonians um, didn't want them there the Romans didn't want them there they were they were no longer welcome in some ways in the in the long run this was good because it meant that the message of Jesus was spreading to different places but the way that that happened wasn't necessarily enjoyable for these Jewish people they were forced out of their homeland and that doesn't sound like a good time to me they were refugees forced out of their homes sounds kind of familiar kind of like maybe we've read that story in the Bible somewhere a little bit of deja vu but we'll get there in a minute I'll talk a little bit more about that let's look at our passage for today a little bit more closely clearly things are happening among this group of people that James isn't very pleased with they're less than acceptable James uses this scenario, an illustration, to engage their imaginations. He uses this word, imagine. I like that James does this, because Jesus does it too in the parables, right? He says, imagine such and such. Um, and he does this to teach a lesson in a way that we understand. But, these imaginative narratives, almost always, if not always, always. Um, are spoken as a lesson in the midst of a lapse in behavior or community engagement with the people of Christ. And and so I giggle a little bit when I read Jesus' parables and the story here in James, because I just imagine the people sitting around, James is sharing with them, and their faces go from fascination, like listening to a story, to like, oh, he's telling the story about us. Like, we're the ones in the story. And so James starts with, Imagine two people coming into your meeting and immediately my first question is what kind of meeting is this? Is this a party? Is this a dinner dinner party? Uh, But if we're reading it in Greek, we would read the word that's used for synagogue Which refers to to their worship meetings, right? Um, They were worshiping Jesus. These were Jesus Worshiping Jews, but this is their worship service much like we're having today Um, I'm sure it didn't look the same. They were probably sitting on dirt floors or on <laughs> just little little boxes um, but James says this imagine people coming into your meeting Two, two people one has a gold ring and fine clothes while the other is poor and dressed in filthy rags then suppose that you were to take special notice of the one wearing fine clothes saying here's an excellent place sit here but to the poor person you say stand over there in the corner or sit here at my feet such a simple story, it's really short, a couple lines, but one with profound implications. James isn't just telling them a random story, right? These Christian Jews were falling into behaviors that didn't align with what it means to be a Christ follower, and James is calling them out. James isn't everybody's favorite person for that reason. And it's not just a little admonition, like a slap on the wrist, like, this is a full-blown rebuking of their actions. His next words are often read as if they're endearing, but I wouldn't be so sure. We often read it, my dear brothers and sisters, listen up. But instead, we have what I think we should read it as is my dear brothers and sisters, listen. There's an exclamation point there. I don't think James is very pleased with what they're doing. And so it's a little bit more of a, He's angry, right? Indignant a little bit. And so as a rule follower, like I talked about, I, I read that and I instantly become afraid. <laughs> um, because the minute somebody raises their voice at me when I was little, uh, it's game over. I just confess all of my sins right there and I break down. <laughs> and and one of my Bible professors at NMU, um he taught us that whenever there's an exclamation point Um, Or or repetition that that's a sign to pay attention like that should be a no-brainer But those little details in scripture when we're reading it make a big difference, right? It would be different if it just if he just said listen here, but no he says listen Listen to what I'm telling you All that to say James is pretty serious about what these scattered Christians are doing to each other particularly how they're treating people in their own community and newcomers to their worship gatherings. The next sign that James is serious is this hypothetical questioning, right? He starts asking these questions that these people already know the answer to. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor by worldly standards to be rich in terms of faith? Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? Don't the wealthy make life difficult for you? Aren't they the ones who drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who insult the good name spoken over you at your baptism? All these questions that are rhetorical, right? Because these people already know the answer. After these questions, I just imagine these people sitting there listening to James with their heads in their hands a little bit. Or, or you know, when you have a dog and, and they're in trouble and their tails between their legs. That's a little bit kind of what I imagine these people were feeling like. Or maybe they were pointing their fingers and placing blame like that guy was the one picking favorites not me who knows what their reaction was but what we know as 21st century readers just like I think those early Christians knew is that they themselves had been and still were the poor themselves mistreated by those in power here they were mistreating others the way that they were being mistreated that's what makes this situation in James so difficult and so awkward they know what it's like to be treated like trash forced to sit in the corner and humiliated they've been the oppressed at the hands of the rich who use their power and use their wealth to hurt others instead of to help others James is reminding them who they are and where they've been. And not only that, but who they are called to be because of the name they bear, which is Jesus. And then James takes it a step further. Again, this is not just a slap on the wrist. He's going all the way. A little bit of tough love, if you will. You do well when you really fulfill the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. But when you show favoritism, you are committing a sin and by that same law you were exposed as a lawbreaker like James goes the whole nine yards he's not joking by showing favor to the rich and mistreating the poor these Christ followers were themselves insulting the good name that was spoken over them at their baptism which is the name of Jesus they may as well leave the fold and join those who take pleasure in oppressing the poor that's what James is saying in fact the word that James uses for favoritism or partiality um, literally means to face both ways in the Greek that's what that's what this word means or to be internally divided as we know from Jesus's own words in the Gospel of Luke no servant can serve two masters right Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be loyal to one and resent the other. You cannot serve two masters. In this case, James is reminding them that they cannot serve God and judge the world, or judge others as the world judges. They can't call themselves Christian and mistreat the poor. Especially because it's the poor on whom God has bestowed honor, right? James doesn't tell them that to make them feel bad. It's historically true from scripture, as we know that the God of Israel has compassion and honors those who are deemed poor by the world. That doesn't mean God doesn't love the rich also, right? The truth here is that all are same in God's eyes. It reminds me of Paul's words to the church in Galatia, that there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, Neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then James adds by default, there's neither rich nor poor, right? So, in light of the royal law, which I was confused by this word royal, right? And so I looked it up. This royal law, the reason he uses the word royal is because simply it's the law that is above all other laws, right? It is the law that reigns before all of the other laws. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think most of us know the first part of that, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But in light of this royal law, it's not just wrong to mistreat the poor. It's reprehensible. It's the opposite of the royal law. A law which rests on several pillars, one of which is mercy. And James brings that up. In this story in fact in the Greek favoritism and mercy are exact opposites they're antonyms when you show favoritism to one person it's at the cost of another person and so that brings me back to this deja vu moment I mentioned earlier this story should found, should sound familiar because we've heard it before the people of Israel were delivered from bondage right when they were in Egypt their oppressors, and they were in turn to show mercy to the stranger in their midst. They were told, You were one strangers, so don't you dare treat strangers poorly because you know what that's like. Uh oh, are we blown over? <laughs> it's the so Holy James expects no less of these dispersed Christians. They're to follow that same law to love the stranger. a little bit I know I spent quite a quite a bit of time talking about the story in James right about these people Um, and I did that on purpose because like the the first hearers of James if we put ourselves in that place I think we find ourselves in the story perhaps we have some changes to make (laughs) maybe probably we find ourselves being pulled in two different directions like this word for favoritism Facing both ways Pulled toward the way the world encourages us to treat others and pulled toward the way God commands us to treat others I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have been In the place of the evil judge that James is talking about Making a a snap decision about a person based on how they look what they're wearing how they talk or maybe even what their hobbies are, these external factors, right? I also know that that I've been the rich person in the story with a gold ring and fine clothes. Not literally, I buy most of my clothes at the thrift store. But I've been welcomed and accepted based on these external factors, right? I've been in that place. And I know that I've also been the person asked to sit on the floor and humiliated. Not necessarily when it comes to to financial wealth, right? But but I've been in that place. I think we can all find a place in this story, or perhaps multiple places in this story, uh, based on different moments and experiences in our lives. Again, we're often pulled in two different directions, sometimes multiple directions. We're trained by certain societal structures to create this automatic bent toward choosing favorites. Politics, the workplace, education, and dare I say it, even the church. I was reading this article um, a while back. It was about favoritism in the workplace. Uh, If you've ever had a job, you know what that's like. Either you're the favorite, or you've experienced somebody else being the favorite. And a CEO of a company was interviewed for this, for this article. I don't remember what company it was, um, but he was interviewed about the issue. And one of his comments was this. He said, favoritism is human nature. And, and I read it a few times, and I realized he's not, he wasn't trying to be callous, uh, but truly believed that it's natural to pick favorites. It's natural to treat some people better than other people. favoritism is human nature. I mean, yes, because of the fall there is temptation, and because of free will we sin and fall into that temptation. But sin isn't our nature. Love is our nature. James's concern for his whole letter, for all of his words is right Christian conduct. Like we read in chapter one, we must not be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We heard that in chapter one. There were a couple lines I read from, from an author this week from a commentary I was reading, uh, and they stuck with me. There were two lines. The first one said this, Consistently Christian conduct comes only from a consistently Christian heart and mind. Consistently Christian conduct comes only from a consistently Christian heart and mind. And here was the second quote that stuck out to me. In obedience to their King Jesus, Christians are to build among themselves a genuine counterculture in which the values of the kingdom of God rather than the values of this world are lived out. To a lot of people, maybe even some of you, What James is saying, what we read in the book of James, feels too much like rules. And so often we just kind of scoot past these passages that call out our shortcomings as Christians. And without giving too much away, uh, we're stealing next week's sermon. Um, I want to touch on one thing. The the very next verse, verse fourteen. Um, and again, I won't I won't steal next week's sermon. Um, but the very next verse says this: My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? That is exactly James's angle. Faith saves you. Yes, we know this and we believe this. Not works. But if you claim to have faith and your actions don't match that faith, if your actions contradict Jesus' teaching and your supposed faith in those teachings, then that faith isn't genuine. Simply put, faith in Jesus implies actions that emulate the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. If your actions imply that your allegiance is elsewhere, then your faith in Jesus isn't genuine. In fact, James says it is dead. Sadly, I have many friends and I've heard many stories of people um, that receive better, more consistent treatment outside of the church than inside. Not this church, I'm Sorry, not this church, Not any specific church really, but Christians in general. And that breaks my heart because the church, this place, these people should be the first place and people that someone thinks of when they're in need. When any human walks in our doors, the doors of this building, this congregation, Or the doors of our lives, because we're supposed to represent Jesus outside of this place as well, right? That human should be given the finest seat in the house. The royal treatment, because they are one of us. They are children of God. And when I say royal treatment, I'm just referring to the royal law, which we know is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so as people of faith in Jesus Christ... Our actions need to line up with what Jesus asks of us. It's not a list of to-dos or rules that we need to check off. We call that legalism here. It's a lifestyle, a mindset, a posture of the heart. For we are people who will be judged by the law of freedom, James says. And that's a good thing. The law of freedom is as simple as this. You get what you give. You will receive forgiveness if you offer forgiveness. You will receive compassion if you show compassion. You will receive mercy if you show mercy. So the more and more I read the text from James today, our passage, chapter 2, the more I wish that the person in the story I most related with was James. His ability to unashamedly call out harmful, divisive behaviors is a quality that I wish I had. The truth is, James knew this group of scattered Christians needed someone to teach and speak truth, no matter what that truth was. But I guarantee if there were more people like James in our world and in our midst, people wouldn't be very big fans of him, would they? Uh, Because we don't necessarily like being called out. Today's word is hard, but it's good, and it's necessary. I'm willing to bet that many of you have been a stranger in a new place before. If you have been, then today's word is for you. If you're a stranger in a new place today, welcome. Today's word is for you, too. And if you love Jesus and have faith in his life, death, and resurrection, then today's word is for you. Amen. I'm going to invite the praise team to to come on up and get ready and we're gonna sing a last song together in a moment but I wanted to repeat one of the one of those lines that I mentioned from from the book that I read uh, because it it just stuck with me and I want it I want to end here um, and use that line as a challenge to us as Christ followers in obedience to our King Jesus we are to build among ourselves a genuine counterculture in which the values of the kingdom of God rather than the values of this world are lived out. Lord, that is our prayer today, that among this place, among these people, that we would build a place that is safe, a place that emulates the values of your kingdom values of of justice values of compassion of service of kindness of love that is unconditional lord for we are humans fashioned in your image and our nature is not sin our nature is love for you are love lord today as we as we end in song with Would we be reminded of this challenge, of this call on our lives to welcome the stranger? May we be a people of hospitality, a people who are warm and welcoming to every human, not just the ones that are like us, not just the ones that look nice on the outside, but God, to every single person, for each and every one of them is a child of God. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we pray these things in your name amen as a normal practice here we uh stand you're already standing good job step one uh but we extend our hands as a symbol of receiving a benediction or a blessing today and so here it is may we be people of hospitality people who embody the kingdom values that christ has called us to today and every day. Go in the love of Christ.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us, and have a great week.